Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you're taking notes and as you open up to 2 Corinthians 11, we will get there in a moment. But I want you to write this down in your notes. Very important that you write this down. In bold letters, underline this, circle it once you write it down. Whatever you want to do, write this down. The bride's enjoyment. The bride's enjoyment. We've been speaking about the bride of Christ here at church. And last week we spoke about the bridal payment. This message is somewhat connected to the bridal payment. So if you're here today and you're going to hear this message today and you have not heard last week's message, I'm going to encourage you to go to our app, go to our podcast, and and download last week's message called the bridal payment. But as we jump into this next um, segment of this of this messages that God's given me, the br- the bride's enjoyment, um, I, I, we 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 spoke uh, last week about something very uh, specific, and we said that He's making space for you. For those of you that feel like there is no room, there is no space, you feel unwelcomed sometimes. Sometimes we come to church and we feel like, man, I feel like I don't fit in. That, that happens more than not. Uh, sometimes I tell people, stick, through, stick, stick in it. You know, th- there's going to be something that you could plug into. On Saturdays, if you're a man, get into a man. It, it, pay attention to the women's gathering. Plug into the women's. If, you, if you're in, man, if you just need to come in prayer, just want to be in the atmosphere of prayer, come at 9 o'clock. Um, there's, uh, if you were to get to know more people, come on Wednesday, midweek. There's always opportunities uh, for people not to, to feel, uh, I, feel I don't know, I just feel like I'm not connecting. There's, there's chances to connect. But there's times where we just come to places and we just feel like, man, I just don't fit in. I just feel like I'm just so odd. <laughs> or, oh, wait a minute, or they're just so odd. It's not, you're not odd. Sometimes it's just they're odd. They're just odd people. And I just don't fit in with them, with them odd folk. But, but we, we, we said that in the presence of the Lord and in glory, he's making space for you. How many of you could say amen? In my father's house, there are many, many mansions, many rooms. There's space for you. I want to go over three passages, and I want to give you a quick summary before we enter into the bride's enjoyment from last week. We spoke about the marriage proposal. How many of you know whether, whether look at you. It, it, that's weird. That would have been, you see, you would have called me the odd one there. I was going to tell all of you, look at your hands, and if you have a ring, but no, let's not do that for a moment. But maybe, maybe you haven't been on earth proposed to. But that's such a lie, because there was a man that came on earth and proposed to us. Every single one of us, every single one of us has been proposed to. We've had a marriage proposal. You need to listen to the message last week. In Mark chapter 10, uh, I want to read verses 35 through 40. They're going to put it up here for a moment. Mark 10, 35 through 4. Let's just go ahead and, and read it uh, together before we jump into the first Corinthians. It says here then, I, I mentioned this quickly in, my, in the message. I did, we didn't turn to it, but I gave it to you as a reference note last week. When James and John comes up to, when they came up to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they said, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand, the other on your left hand, in your glory. And in verse 38, he says this. But Jesus says to them, you do not know what you ask. Are, everyone, I want you, every, (laughs) this is powerful. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 
And I believe I give you one more. And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will. See, yes, Lord. They, they said, you, are you able to drink from my cup? The, the reply was what? The answer back was what? Yes, Lord. And Jesus says, you will be able then, or you will, sorry, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Last one. And then it goes on to say, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's to those for whom it is prepared. We went into that passage, and the disciples had to drink, had to drink from a cup. And they said, yes, Lord, we'll drink. And from drinking from it, the Lord says, from saying yes to it, the Lord said, you're going to surely drink from this cup. And I spoke about this cup of wine, which we've recognized it's the new covenant, it's the blood of Christ. And in drinking the wine, we went through Jewish history, or, or through the custom of Judaism, and we learned that from drinking from the wine, that was a marriage proposal. And from taking a sip of that cup, you were telling the beloved that was standing before you, I say yes, and I do. And you take a, a sip. So when they said, let us have this special place, let me see if the Father's given it to you yet. Are you able to drink from what I'm drinking? You know, that, that whole verse, that whole verse right there, it's not for me to give, but it's for those who are prepared. You see, he wanted to see if they were really going to drink it first. I can't just give you something without you drinking from it first. I can't just give you something without you saying yes to it first. So it's going to be prepared for those who are willing to say yes to it. That's a powerful moment in the disciples' lives. One in which they're going to hear again in the future on the day of the Lord's Supper. We went into that. The next verse I want to share or the passage is in Matthew 26. Verses 27, 28, and 29. He's having the Lord's Supper. This is... This is, this is um, after the encounter that just happened with James and John, he's sitting, and in that table, James and John are present. In that table, the disciples are there. And in that table, there is bread, and there, are, and there, is, and there is wine, and they're going to have the last feast. And he took the cup, and he says, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And look what he says. He says, drink from it, all of you. <clears throat> and he says, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. We'll read the next verse. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Remember this? This is a very powerful moment. Why? James and John, when they hear this, they recognize, wait a minute, we've heard something like this before. There was a time when we scuffled with the other disciples after I asked Jesus, can we sit one at your right and one at your left? And Jesus asked us the question, will you drink from my cup? And we, not even knowing fully what it said, we just said yes. And now he's talking about this cup again. What is it about this cup? Sometimes we look at that cup as a cup of wrath. Are you able to drink a cup of wrath? And we always, we always define that verse as, oh, the disciples had to go through a wrath to be able. But that's not true. That's not true for every believer. Every believer doesn't go through that. Maybe it's the wrath that he was going to take in. And in drinking the marriage proposal, in drinking the cup, you also receive the wrath that the son, that your beloved took to put that ring on your finger, to put that love in your heart. The wrath was sealed by Jesus Christ. The wrath was taken by him. And in us taking the cup, we said yes to the proposal. So, so math, Mark 10 and Matthew 26 are pairing this cup together. And it's a marriage proposal. Why? Because Jesus is doing something so special here. What is he doing? Listen, he is, 
proposing to, he's throwing his proposal for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What is he doing? Jesus is coming and offering his proposal. What? Who will receive it and one day walk into the marriage, the supper of the lamb on the last day when I drink again with you. And, and it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful imagery here. Why? Jesus is a Jew. What does that mean? His audience are Jews. What does that mean? The writers are Jews of the Bible. So you have to have the mindset of Judaism. He was proposing to planet Earth, every inhabitant on planet Earth. I love you. Will you say yes and love me back? Will you be my bride? Well, well, show me you love me. I will. And it's going to be on a cross. And I'm going to shed my blood. And may that blood be my proposal to you. May you say yes. Will you drink from that wrath? Yes or no? Will you drink from that wrath? And if you say yes, you drink of the cup. And you do that in remembrance of him. And it's a saying yes to him. The last one is Matthew 26, verse 39. We go down that same verse. And it says, he went a little farther, far, uh, farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, there's this cup again. He's, what is it with Jesus and a cup? He's a Jew. The writers are Jewish. He, he's speaking with his, with, the, with his Jewish mindset. The cup is my knee before the world. Lord, man, this proposal was heavy. Lord, this bride, what, what, what it, she came at such a high cost. This bride was so painful, the wrath, man, just to win this bride's heart. Maybe it's because some of you don't have a persevering, chasing spirit. And you know what it is to chase a woman. <laughs> so, so the bride, okay, she gave me a look, so I'm not going to do it. She did not again. All right. So the bride, so the bride. You see, I go home with her, and then, so the bride, the the bride comes at a cost. The bride is costly, and and pass this cup from me. But 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 nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is the father doing? The father is saying, I'm 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 looking upon the land. I'm looking upon the earth, and I'm bringing them to you. I'm bringing her to you. And and how does he do this? He's he's allowed the Holy Spirit now to come to the earth, and the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to draw men to Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit draws men to Jesus, they have they have a proposal that they meet Jesus with and in that proposal they say yes and when they say yes they're united with Jesus and being united with Jesus you're united with the one that started the process of finding the woman for his son which is the father that's why Jesus and the father and the bride were all connected because you belong to me because he sent his spirit to draw you to me we are part of this proposal that made you say yes and man did it come at a cost will you drink from it all right, let's get into the, today's message. Today's message is titled, The Bride's Enjoyment. Oh, we said yes. How many of you have said yes? We've said yes. And in saying yes, your world went upside down. Your world went all over the place. How many of you, by saying yes to Jesus, things changed in your life? Some things have gotten easier. How many of you, some things have gotten harder? It's, 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 an, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing. He shed his blood. You drank from the cup of wrath, the wrath in which Christ was pressed. Where was Christ pressed? 
Jesus was born and, and, and he came to live. And at the end of his life, he's at a place called Gethsemane, which, which is the olive press. And he's pressed there. And why is he pressed there? Because valuable wine was going to come from Jesus. It's what the Christians would call things like, and I don't want to lose you guys with Christianese, but it's the, what Christians would call the new wine. It's new wine. It's a new life, another word. It's, and what was meant was in this in this garden of Gethsemane where he's, where he's just out of his pores, blood is coming out. What's happening to Jesus is he's being crushed. Like the way, the way wine is made in the, in the olive press, he's being crushed. And in being crushed, in being crushed, he was going to use it to glorify himself. Can you imagine living a life being crushed and the whole reason for your crushing is to bring glory to the Lord? How many of you could testify to that? I've been crushed, but it's for the glory of the Lord. He shed his blood. And why does he shed his blood? So that we could drink the wine, which is the new covenant, which is his blood, which was shed so that we drink from this and, and we say yes to this proposal. Hallelujah. It's an honor. Listen to me. It's an, how many of you could say it's an honor to be part of the bride? And for me, it is an honor to be part of the bride, and not only to be part of it, but, to, but even sometimes a greater honor to be entrusted to lead the bride and, of the King of Kings. Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 11, you turn there, I just wanted you to see some of this wordage. It's so powerful. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. Look what Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 11. He goes on in verse 1. I'm not going to read it, but you could read it. I'm not lying. It says it there. It says, he says something like this. Oh, here, here's my translation in a sense. Oh, that you're just put up with my foolishness for a little bit. You ever had to deal with someone's like, my guy just never knows when to stop playing around. She just never knows when to stop playing around. Like, oh, they're always messing around. Paul's like, oh, that you would just put up with me being a clown for a little bit. That you would deal and put up with my foolishness just for a little bit. Why is Paul saying such words? He's saying something special here because he says, oh, that you would deal with me for a little bit. Why? Because look what I'm about to tell you. Like, like, like I think what Paul is doing here as he's writing this is this. Oh, that you would deal with my foolishness because in verse 2, he's going to present something that, like, try to understand what I'm trying to say through this. Like, don't be so like, oh, Paul, what are you, you're so, like, into yourself. No, like, just deal with my foolishness. See if this See if this makes sense. You've ever said something that God is stirring in your heart and you tell someone, like, does that make sense to you? Am I making proper sense? And what Paul's doing is he's led by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. And as he's writing this letter, he's like, I'm going to be foolish for a little bit. Just deal with me. And, and I think I'm going to draw out a picture that you'll get. So what does he say? Verse 2, he says this. He says, for I am, look what he says, jealous for you with godly jealousy. Everyone see that? For I am jealous with you. With godly jealousy. Everyone say jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now you see why Paul is saying this. Like, hey, like just deal with my foolishness, you know. I'm so jealous over you, but it's a good jealousy. Don't get me wrong. So you see how he's trying to like deal with this. And, 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 and this, in this jealousy that I have for you, I've given you as, as, an, as a... As a 
as a fiance um, to one husband. To, I, I've set you just for one man. And, and my goal in life, Paul says, is to take you and just to show you to the Lord. And when I show you to the Lord at that day, on that great day, I just want to present you as a chaste virgin. You know, he's talking about like virginity and things like that. That's why he says, oh, that you just deal with my foolishness for a little bit. Because what I want is, in virginity, what I'm talking about there is, is that you would become pure before the presence of God. That I, in leading you, have not polluted you in anything. When Paul talks about that, he is talking about someone who does not own the bride, but God has brought on earth to manage her well. And in managing her well, he's like, that I may present you clean and pure, that my teachings and my life before you would cause you to be pure without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, so that when you stand before your beloved, I caused more good in your life than I did bad. There are people in this world that can cause more bad than they can cause good. In Paul's writing, he's like, I just want to present you as a chaste virgin that you would be pure before the Lord. Oh, that you would just deal with my foolishness just for a little bit, he says. I hope you're understanding this because the word jealousy, everyone say jealousy one more time. The word jealousy in the Greek is zelos, right? Where we got zelo. It's, it's jealousy. That's where we get that. It's, 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 it's a word which, which is the seal of a husband. It's, it's that jealous love for his bride. I care for you so much. Is, this is the passion of God burning inside of me, Paul is talking about. I promised your hand in marriage to, to Christ. I presented you as a pure virgin to your husband. His concern was that the church would become deceived and corrupted and would eventually turn her away from the beloved groom, which is Jesus. He was terrified of that. He was terrified of that. It's almost like a parent saying, I kind of don't want to give you a car because I'm terrified that the moment that I give you a car or I kind of don't want you to go get your license yet because I'm terrified that if you get your license, you're going to start driving. And if you start driving, then you get in a car accident. And I could have like stopped you from doing it. And we want to like, oh, I just want to protect my children. And Paul is riding with such passion, with such love, with such desire for the bride that belongs to beloved that he says this. The next thing that he says in verse 3 is, but I fear, he says in verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so that your minds may be corrupted. Look what he says next. From the simplicity that is in Christ. What is Paul talking about here? He fears like, oh, beloved bride before beloved groom, Jesus. I just fear that, that you'll be deceived like Mother Eve was. And that your minds would be corrupted. Corrupted from what? From nothing else but the most important thing, what we learned in this church, the one thing, which is Jesus from the simplicity that is in Christ. Everyone say simplicity. The word in the Greek for simplicity doesn't mean, oh, Jesus is just simple. No, it's a word that you could use to say from the singleness of Jesus, meaning, meaning that you're singled out before the Lord, that there are not two lovers. That you'll be deceived and in deception, you, 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 you serve two gods in deception without you knowing it. You, you, you proclaim your allegiance to beloved. You, you show off the engagement ring, but in reality, your heart serves another. I fear for you, beloved church. I 
fear for you, bride, that as the serpent deceived Eve, your minds as well can be corrupted from being singled out upon Jesus. Your beloved who's coming back for you to take you to the honeymoon. Your silence shows me you're getting something. The ESV says it this way. That your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure, I love that ESV says devotion, devotion to God. Paul's, Paul's whole mindset is, I fear that as a serpent deceived, he'll deceive your minds and you'll be corrupted. Listen, your thoughts will be led astray. Astray from what? Simplicity in Christ. Astray from what? That you'll be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to God. Many of you have ran this race long enough to know that there are moments that you burn deeper and moments that you don't. There are moments that you dabble in things, and there are moments where you're on fire walking on water. Many of you know we don't have to play the game. We know we're talking about we're all human. We all have weaknesses. We all have struggles here. There are moments where you are the king on top of the hill, and there are moments where you are hungry and in poverty in the valley looking up saying, whoa, where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord. Don't, you know, the people that come, I just live always on the mountaintop. We have mountains and valleys in life. And, and, and Paul's like, I want to make sure that you don't lose the sincerity, the purity that's the, the, of your devotion to Christ. Well, this is the desire. You see, I, I, I look at this verse, and this is the introduction of the bridal's enjoyment, the bride's enjoyment. What is the desire of the enemy? What is the desire of the function or the, or the patterns of this world? I believe it's this. I wrote this down in my notes. You should too. It is to rob the bride's devotion unto her beloved. I believe that the world works heavy on us, and I believe that the enemy works heavy on us. Not necessarily just to send us to hell, no. Because I, be I believe I'm saved. All right, here's a theology statement. I believe I'm saved, and I believe that no demon in hell can do anything to me to make me lose my salvation. Me, me personally. Whatever you believe is fine. That's just me. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. That the patterns of this world, the enemy himself, I believe that what it wants to do is to rob the devotion that I live on earth unto my beloved. How? Why? What? What, 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 what am I speaking about? Maybe I can answer it saying this way. Ready? Remember the verse I just read. Remember the Greek words I just gave you, or the, or the meaning of the Greek that I gave you. How will he try to rob my devotion unto Jesus? By taking away... Listen, by taking away the bride's single mindset towards her beloved and by taking her pureness away, by taking away her cleanness. How many of you, when I say the church, do you guys understand I'm not talking about a building or an organization? You know that, right? Every time I mention the church today, I'm talking about every single person that is sitting in this place. How many of you have seen the church because I know what happens when I say that. I'm like, oh, yes, that's why I left my last church. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people, like us, me, myself, yourself, the person sitting next to you. The church at times gets dirty. 
I, you know, I, I thought about that for a moment. My, my, the church at times gets polluted. I feel like I've been called not to walk away from it, but when I see dirtiness and pollution, maybe God's just called me to pick up the mop, pick up the broom, instead of automatically, oh my God, that's polluted, that group, uh, I'm just going to walk away. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to pick up the mop, I'm going to invest into that more. In doing so, what happens when the church gets polluted? This is why we have to guard our hearts so much. Listen to me. This is why the enemy wants to destroy your devotion, your single mindset towards the Lord, your pureness. Because in doing so, the enemy, I, I actually like, was trying to figure out a good word that would trigger something in your heart. So I thought about this word. In doing so, the enemy decimates her image. What do I mean by that? He begins to stain her. Why does the enemy, why is the enemy, why is this world constantly... Um, grabbing a hold of the bride. It wants to stain and it wants to decimate her image. Why? So it can leave a bad testimony in this world. This is what I'm talking about. Where others, and we've all heard people say this, where others can say, I don't want anything to do with that. When they say phrases like this, I don't want anything to do with that, this is what I fear. What they're saying is this, if that's the bride, I want nothing to do with her groom. That, I don't want anything to do with that. When, when someone from the outside sees the stain upon your dress and looks at you, I mean, I get it. Why look at the speck in the other person's eye when that person probably has a massive plank, but it's okay. The message across is foolishness, so they don't see it. So, what, I mean, they see the stain in your dress. I mean, the, the truth is, what are they really saying? If that's the bride, I don't want nothing to do with her beloved, with her groom. Why is our lives so important? Our lives are important not just so that people could become brides. Our lives are important so that they could fall into the hands of their groom. It's not just about like, oh, yeah, we want more sheepfold. No, it's the groom. The groom wants them to fall in love with his love. You see, Paul was worried for the bride, the bride of Christ. And he was worried because if she was stained, if she was deceived, if she was stained, he was scared for her that that she would lose beloved's identity inside of her upon this earth. How many of you know that when you walk in this earth, you should demonstrate his identity on earth. You should reveal his identity on earth. Our beloved's identity. And I want every single person to write this on their notes. As the bride, I live worthy. Can you say that? As the bride, I'm called to live worthy. We live worthy, and our living worthy is not an outward beauty, but it's an inward beauty that is incorruptible. Yes? I want every single person to look at this definition on the screen for a moment. It's the definition of the word incorruptible. And it says this. The word incorruptible means not susceptible. 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 Amen. Not susceptible to corruption. Thank you for the prayer warriors that were praying for me right now. 
I was able to say, especially by bribery. Especially by bribery. Not subject to death or decay. Look at that word. Everlasting. Just leave that there for a moment. Just leave that on the screen as I, as I, I be, leave this until I get to 1 Peter chapter 3. So when you look at these words up on the screen, this is the bride. To live worthy with not outward beauty, but an inward beauty which is incorruptible. Those words. So the bride is what? The bride is what? Honorable. Listen to my words here. The bride is what? Trustworthy. The bride is what? Upright. The bride is right-minded. The bride is decent. Decent. She lives with decency. You know what I'm saying? Okay, good. She's decent. The bride is righteous. Not only this, but the bride is durable. The bride is enduring. She endures. She's everlasting. How many of you see yourselves getting older? How many of you see, see things happening to your body? How many of you know, man, you're taking medicine now that you never took before? But you, deep down inside, if you're the bride, you endure. You're everlasting. Your reign is forevermore. The bride is one who endures and is everlasting. And Peter touches up on this in his letter addressing the behaviors of the husband and the wife at home. And he takes a moment and he reminds the bride where true beauty resides. Where true beauty sits. Man, if you just don't miss this this morning. He reminds the bride, listen, that she will never lose the perspective where true beauty abides. Where does, where does true beauty abides? It is not in any kind of surgery, and it's not in any kind of um, uh, makeup, and it's not in any kind of dress and shoes, and it's not anything that money can buy. I'm telling you that the beauty of the bride is something that only the blood can purchase. It's something that is deeper. It's something that is deeper than the outward man that is perishing. The bride is adorned, not outwardly, but the bride is adorned within. And 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter wants the church to know and the husband and the wives to know and the brides to know. You want to know if you got it together? You want to know if you can flaunt it? You want to know if you got this thing? You want to know if you're hot? Here it is. Do not let your... How can you keep preaching after you say that? Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Everyone say rather. Rather. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible, another word is imperishable beauty. What is this hidden person of the heart? This incorruptible, there's the word incorruptible. This imperishable beauty, it's of a gentle and it's of a quiet spirit. Seriously examine your heart, bride. Do you have a gentle and quiet spirit? Or do you cause strife with your words? Or are you always causing problems? Or is there always something negative? Or are you always looking for everyone's wrong? Are you the bride? Because if you're the bride, you have a gentle and quiet spirit walking with honor in this land. The message says you cultivate the inner beauty, the gentle and gracious kind. Why? Because God delights in it. It's precious, New King James says, in the sight of God. Listen, listen. It's not in her outward appearance, Peter says. It's not in styling her hair. Those things are good. 
I'm not trying to tell you, like, don't style your hair, don't put on deodorant, put on deodorant, spray yourself with extra cologne, brush your teeth, don't let your teeth rot, comb your hair, get haircuts, dye your hair. You're beautiful, in and out. What this passage means is when your life becomes more about the external, when the inward is perishing, you're not gaining anything. It does not mean... Guys, that's what the heavy religious people do. It does not mean to ignore the physical man. No, pay attention to the physical man. Take care of it. Let it look good. But this is not what we live for. This is not what we flaunt. It is the inward beauty of the heart. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying shame on you because you wore earrings of gold today. Shame on you because you went to the salon yesterday. Shame on you because you're wearing that expensive shoe. No, that's not what Peter is saying. Shame on you if your life is about outward show rather than inward purity. He's, he's singling out something more important. He's not telling the women and the men to ignore their physical needs or the desire to be beautiful. No. It's when that stuff corrupts what the Lord is actually trying to do within you. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, me and Nancy, sometimes we take the kids to the pool and I see some of these people sometimes. And I'm going to be very careful with what I say. I don't want to offend no one. But sometimes I see people and they try too hard. And I see people and they post it. And I see people and they're always talking about it. And, you know, they have to always, you know, and it's just like, what are you really, whose eye are you really trying to catch? Do you want to catch something from the inward beauty? Or are you working so hard so that everyone could see your outward man? I'm not trying to say to ignore the outward man. I'm just trying to say in, spend time and and cultivate that which really matters, which is the inner beauty in the man. That's what Peter's talking about, man. So, so, so it's not her outward appearance. The bride is too white. It's her inner disposition. It's not the clothes. It's, it's cultivating her inner beauty. That her spirit would be seen as gentle and gracious, which is precious in the sight of our God. As any true husband would, and our beloved groom also delights in. Any husband delights in that. Any husband would delight in both. She's beautiful within and beautiful without. But can you imagine a husband saying, my gosh, she's beautiful outside, but inside she's poison. Proverbs talks about a woman like that. Scripture talks about women like that. And when I say women, I'm not, I'm not pointing at women. I'm talking about people like that. Man, pastor, you really went hard on women today. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> when I say women, when I say her, when I say she, I'm talking about the bride, we are all called she in this aspect of the bride. Make sure I wanted to clarify that. I feel like we have something here, though. I feel like we have something, and I want you to really pay attention as we get ready to, to hit this home here. The inner beauty of the bride, listen, must be single. Everyone say single. Say pure. Do you say pure or pure? I say pure, but I see a lot of things wrong. I do. My, my English, my Spanglish, I guess from the Hispanic, it's all banged up. I say pure, but it might be pure. It's both. It's like honor with the U or honor with the O. I'm not from England, you know. I'm from a whole other country. Miami and Hialeah, I mean, it's a whole other country. And really, I'm from Key West, a whole other country. Uh, but I feel like we have something. We're single. The bride is to be, must be single, pure. The bride must look unto her beloved. 
Lord. Her spirit cannot be corrupted. This is such a beautiful message. Let me tell you why. Has your spirit been corrupted? If it has, praise the Lord. Jesus is just showing you again. I love you. I got corrupted. I love you. What do you want? You want me to put on Jodeci for you? Voice to men. Baby, 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 baby. I mean, he loves you. Looking unto her beloved. Listen, the bride, right? The bride. Talking about us, not just the she's, us, all of us. Her spirit cannot be corrupted. It cannot be polluted. Please listen to this. It cannot be double-minded before her groom. The bride must endure the times. Are you catching that? The bride must endure the times. What times? Good times. Because some people don't know how to handle good times. What other times? Bad times. Because some people don't know how to handle bad times. The good and the bad. You endure the times. The bride must live with great honor. Listen. In it all, the bride must guard her inner beauty. I've walked into the house of many brides. Remember what I'm talking about when I say brides. And outwardly she looked beautiful. But inwardly there was no beauty. There was corruption. There was politics. There was deception. There was adultery. And I said, this is the bride. And this man is having an adultery. Because we're man. Why, why would you go into something so personal? Because the bride is to live with great honor. And to live with great honor, I need to guard where beauty truly resides in. How do I do this? Cultivate your spirit. Never lose. The bride should work to never lose. I hope you're writing notes today, man. The bride shall never lose or forfeit her beauty. Did you hear my definition of incorruption? Put the definition up again. <clears throat> Especially by bribery, the bride shall never forfeit her inner beauty. The bride shall be gentle within. The bride shall be gracious Grace shall be what the bride operates and lives in. Grace. All you got to do is listen to the words. All you got to do is listen to, look at people's lives. Hey, you're not living in the same grace you used to live. What happened to you? Listen carefully. Watch carefully. And love them. Help them. Cultivate that spirit. She's the bride. And we need to protect her beauty from within. That's our family. That's beloved's baby. We have something here. I want you to please follow. Revelation chapter 22 blew my mind to pieces. Because Revelation 22, at the end of it all, it says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. Why would the spirit and the bride say, come quickly? Come, come, come. Because Jesus made a promise. He said this, where I'm going are many mansions, but I'm coming soon. 
I'm coming quickly. So the bride is saying, come, because she heard him say, I'm coming. Why else would you tell someone to come? Because they promised they're coming. Revelation says the spirit and the bride say, come. I never, I've never paid too much mind to this. That this verse, listen, is not separating both the spirit and the bride. I've always read this as a separation between the spirit and the bride. The spirit and the bride say, come. Maybe it's more about uniting the spirit and the bride than it is dividing and separating the spirit and the bride. Where we can't separate, listen, because this is so important to how I'm going to close. We can't separate one from the other. Why? Because one, write this in your notes, gives affirmation to the other. The spirit and the bride say, come. It's not to separate them, but it's because one gives affirmation of the other. What, what do I mean by that? Maybe I could define it this way. There is no life. There is no life and there is no bride. There is no life and there is no bride unless the spirit begins to live within them. If the spirit does not begin to live within, okay, how can you say that? The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will also raise us up. What does that mean? There is no resurrection if there is no spirit living within. The spirit and the bride say come. Maybe the spirit and the bride is not to separate one from the other, but because one, meaning the spirit, actually affirms that she is the bride. <laughs> oh, man. So that, this is just me, right? This is just me like at home. Like, oh, my God, I think I got something here. 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 I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting it, God. Finally, after 17 years being saved, I think I finally understand that I'm not separated from the Spirit because the Spirit lives within me, saying and calling out to beloved, hey, hey, I'm in here, and this one is yours. This one's your bride. Come. The Spirit and the bride are in unison with the cry of come. There is no life and there is no bride unless the spirit begins to live within. I hope you're learning something today. The spirit affirms the bride to Christ. The spirit affirms the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There is one sin that can never be forgiven. Not in my nose. Forgive me for making a right turn. There is one sin that cannot be forgiven. It is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And many of us in the church thought it meant cursing the Holy Spirit. Or saying, oh God, the Holy Spirit is so stupid. That is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the rejection work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. And in Christ, he becomes the doorway to the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the one sin that can never be rejected, is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, which at the end is salvation. If we reject salvation and we don't want to accept salvation, it is the only sin that can never be forgiven. There is no life and there is no bride unless the spirit begins to live within. Why? The spirit affirms she's the bride. Okay, this stuff goes back to the Old Testament. And it's all over the New Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, a prophecy spoken by the Lord in the Old Testament, testifies about a day like today. And a day of when the spirit will begin to live inside of her. He says this in verse 
26, 7, and 28 of chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel, the prophet who is a major prophet in the Old Testament. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit. I will put my spirit within you and watch this, watch this. When I begin to put my spirit within you, the way you walk changes. Why? Because you walk worthy. The bride is called to be pure. The bride is called to be righteous. The bride is called to be clean. You begin to live worthy. Look what, the, look what the prophecy says. My spirit within you will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful. The bride is careful to observe my ordinances. Uh, you're you're going to be living a life of obedience. This is an Old Testament scripture from a major prophet prophecy. Let's go to the New Testament. John chapter 6. I love that he is known as the beloved. He says this. It is the spirit who gives what? Life. There is no life and there is no bride if there is no spirit living within. John says it. Not me. John says it. Scripture says it. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Don't live for the flesh only. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Why? How can words be spirit? How can words be spirit? Because we know that scripture also says that the word of God is not just ink on paper, but the word of God is living, powerful, and it is what? It is the same yesterday, it's the same today. What do I mean? It's infallible, it's inerrant. What does that mean? That the word is also a person, that the word is also something special that lives with inside of you. It's not just words written in your memory bank. It is a spirit that is alive deep down inside of you that's what the word of god is also so bride give attention give attention because our being adorned is not to attract others our being adorned is for nothing else but to attract him when we live for the approval when we live for the notice or the acceptance or the attention of others, you're going to focus always on external things. Have you noticed that? You want to raise, you want a higher position at your work, what do you do? I mean, when you begin to live for approval, notice, acceptance, attention of others, you begin to focus on external things. Better said, you begin to live now for the outward beauties. But when our focus remains on the one thing, everyone say one thing. Jesus, our beloved, singled out on him. We don't live exhausting ourselves to prove. But we now enjoy ourselves in his delight in us. That is so important. When our focus remains in one thing, we don't exhaust ourselves anymore, but we enjoy ourselves more. And that is where our focus in and living in becomes about the inward beauties rather than the outward beauties. What is the Lord saying? I look for inward beauty, while others look for outward beauty. That's what he's saying today. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. I thought about Jesse, and I thought about David. I'm just going to read it. Seven of Jesse's sons had to what? Present themselves before the King Samuel. I'm going to read, if you're taking notes, write this down. Actually, you could even turn to it, but I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to share with you as I close um, a passage from 1 Samuel 16. 
seven of Jesse's sons, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God said what? This is so important to everything I just said. If not, God said, Samuel, go to Jesse's house. One of his sons is going to become the next king of Israel. So what happens? The prophet comes with a horn, a massive horn of a ram. That's a whole preaching too. You should see the process that the ram horn for the care. The ram's horn represents an oil, which represents anointing. The, the, the process of the ram's horn is a process of carrying God's anointing. So he carries the ram's horn with him, and Jesse sees him. And he says, all my sons, come out. The prophet is here. And he brought oil with him. Surely we heard about Saul's death. Surely we heard about the prophet Samuel. And the next king will be anointed. He calls all seven sons out to present themselves before Samuel. Each one was to present and perform before Samuel. Their muscles, their intellect, their wisdom, their knowledge. And every single one, Samuel would see them and say, mm, this one's muscular. He's got to be the next king. This one's very smart. He's got to be the next. This man's a warrior. He's got... And every single one, God said, eh. To the point that God had to remind Samuel of a truth. He said, I don't look the way you look at man. See, man looks at man outwardly. But I'm going to look at the next one inwardly. So stop thinking it's them. I'm going to show you who it is. So each one is to perform and present themselves. But yet, there was another son who was never brought forth. He was out in the field. He was a shepherd. I love that he was a shepherd. And he wasn't even called to present himself. And, and I look at that and I said, David never came to perform. David never came to present. It was not necessary for him to do that before Samuel. Why? And I started to think about this. And I said, I know Why? Because God's eyes were already on him. And God already saw how he presented and how he performed in the private. In his private life. How do I know that? Because one day he saw a Philistine. And he said what? Everyone, the warriors of Israel, were terrified of Goliath. Shaking. And little, little David comes out with some tray of food he says who is that uncircumcised philistine that defies the army of the lord david you can't do that my armor doesn't even fit you he tried saul's armor and he couldn't even walk whoa, 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 whoa. what does david say he says with my very own hands in my private i killed what 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 i killed lions and bears this man is nothing God already has given me victory in the quiet place. You've seen me win battles. You've never seen me win battles. But today, I'm going to publicly demonstrate that the battle belongs to the Lord. Because, see, David already had won in the secret place. And the Lord tells Samuel, don't look at his appearance. The Lord tells Samuel, don't look at his physical stature. I love that the other day, me and my father were at a Bible study together. And I'm sitting down, and a, and, a, and, a, and a guest walks in to the Bible study. And to honor the guest, you know, we stood up to say hello to this guest. And the guest saw her, and she heard there was a Bible study, and the pastor from the church was going to go. And she says, hello, hello. She said hi to me. She looks at my father. She goes, there's the pastor. And I just stood there. <laughs> and, I, and I just, you know, and I, I just smiled. And then so they said, no, no. 
it's him. And she goes, oh, hello. Maybe it's because I was young. People, a lot of people don't like the beard. Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at the physical stature. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. See, man's very good at looking at outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, man. So the Lord tells Samuel, the Lord tells Samuel, you're not, man, I wish I had a ram's horn, you know. You're not, Samuel, thank you for coming to Jesse's house. You're not choosing the king for me. <laughs> Listen to this for a moment because I wanted to hit your spirit. The Lord tells Samuel, you're not choosing the person for me. I already chose him. Samuel, what you're doing is this. You're going to be obedient. And you're going to confirm my will on earth as it is in heaven. That this sat heavy, so heavy on me. Samuel going to anoint the next king was not because he was going to anoint. The Lord's like, I already anointed him. Tell, tell the one in the field to come. When David begins to walk towards Samuel, God says, there he is. Grab the oil. Pour it over his head. David was like in the, probably in the middle of saying, Dad, you rang the bell. Whoa. And he started to get drenched with oil. And the other brothers stood around him like, did, did he not see me? Did he not interview me? You see, Samuel going was not to anoint the next king. or to, No, Samuel going was not to choose the next king. Samuel going was to be obedient to the king to confirm his will on earth, what has already been confirmed in heaven. You do what I've already spoken up here Go anoint the next king. I'll show you who he is. Samuel didn't have to search for who he was. The Lord said, I'll show you who he is. Verse 12, he says in 1 Samuel 16, arise. To the point that when David began to walk towards him, Samuel was like, oh, that's not him. That the Lord had to speak to him and said, arise. What are you doing? Arise. Anoint him, for there is the one. Samuel takes, verse 13, the horn of oil, anoints him in the midst of his brothers. You think that testifies? You think, man, I, that's a whole preaching right there. Anoints him in the midst of his brothers. You know how many people in the family, just because they present or perform a certain way, they think they carry an anointing. No, it's him. It belongs to him. And that's what was going on. They got mad at the situation. And it says, very important, verse 13, in the midst of his brothers, but this is the most important part of this verse, I feel. And the spirit of the Lord, the word of the Lord? The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. What is that all about? I know what it's about. The Spirit affirmed the man that belongs to beloved. 
The same way that the Spirit affirms that you are His, the Spirit affirmed David. David was beloved's chosen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you live exhausting yourself? God, that was pretty cool. I was trying to find a way of how I could add that into my message. But do you live exhausting yourself trying or enjoying yourself in his delight over you? There is a form and there is a teaching that does not let you pause and live enjoying that he delights over you. We got to move past the place where we know we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. We know that already. But in the process of this, there's also something beautiful that the Lord delights in you. Do you enjoy his delight over you? Because the Lord was already delighting over David before David ever presented himself before the prophet. My God. It kind of reminds me how the Lord is already delighting himself in me before I ever present myself before the Father. He's delighting. The Lord is delighting in me. And I believe the Lord delights over every single one of us in this room. Every, every single one of you, but maybe we're missing. Maybe some of you are missing. Maybe I'm missing at times. I'm missing out in delighting and enjoying myself in him. How many of you feel condemned because you haven't read this week? Don't raise your hand. How many of you feel condemned because your prayer life really was horrible this week? How many of you feel so condemned because you didn't serve God this week as you should? Okay, well, you know what you have to do. But I believe that, I want, that the Lord wants you to know however you're feeling, he delights over you. And don't miss out on his delight and enjoying yourself in him. Well, see, the bride must endure the times. The bride must live with great honor. The bride must guard her inner beauty. She must cultivate her spirit. I love what John says in chapter 4. He'll put it up on the screen. In John 4, 23, in the book of John, it says this, but the hour is coming. Do you know the, the story behind this? I wish I had more time and I'll teach a whole thing on this, but it's the Samaritan woman at the mountain, at the well, and they're having a whole discussion about worship. They're actually they're having a battle about worship. She doesn't even know this, but she's having a battle with Jesus about what true worship is. You worship over there, and I worship here, and this is the right place. That's the wrong place. And Jesus is like, no, none of those places are right. And, and they're, they're having an amazing in discussion about worship. And the Lord, in the midst of this discussion, says, there is an hour that is coming. I believe the hour is here. And now is. There is an hour, and now is. When the true worshipers will worship Father in spirit. 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 I emphasized cup last week. Cup, 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 cup. This week I'm emphasizing spirit, spirit, spirit. They will worship the Father in spirit. Why spirit? Spirit affirms the beloved. Spirit affirms she's the bride. And she will worship in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. Man, this blows my mind. The f Dad, I see the way you treat Nancy. Okay? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you like it's me and you over dinner. And it makes my heart happy the way you love my wife. You treat her like 
she's your daughter. And that's mind-blowing to me. Because I believe that there's something about the father that loves his son, that all he could do is love what his son loves. And in that, he shares in a love and delights in that love. And I, and I look at that and it blows my mind. Because I see my child and I said, will I like, I don't know about Jade, you know. <laughs> will I like her husband? I'm going to call a lot of uncles that day. The day that Eli needs me, I'll be there, I'll take the gun, and we'll, 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 you know, we'll be there. Just to scare him just a little bit. Hopefully Eli comes and it's my day, I'll call Uncle Eli and Uncle Lou and Uncle Rudy and Uncle Lewis and Uncle Nest. Everyone, all the, I'll, I'll probably call a men's meeting at my house the day that. <laughs> Jay's being picked up at seven, there's a men's meeting. Everyone get tattooed that week. Put the tank top on. Get Uncle Tito, get, 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 get fake teeth, go teeth on. If you got to go buy a Toys R Us, a fake gun, get the gun. We're going to do like that movie, man, when he walks in. But, you know, I think about my, my children and I say, what an honor it will be, right, to share in my child's love for, in their bride, in their groom. Father is seeking for the bride to worship in spirit and truth. Beloved bride, you, I'm telling you right now, you live worthy. Beloved bride, you live in enjoyment. Beloved bride, David says in Psalm 42, deep cause to deep. David, remember David? The one that the spirit of the Lord was upon him from that day forward, deep cause to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls. That's a great message for war. At the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This is, this is a bride speaking here. <laughs> By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and night his song is with me. He knows the song of his, of his groom. A prayer to God of my life. Hosea talks about this, Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 16 to 23 says this. And in that day, this is a prophecy of the days to come today. This is a prophecy of John chapter 4, verse 23. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I remove the names of the other gods, Baal, from their mouth, from her mouth. And they shall be remembered by name no more, and I will make them a covenant on that day to drink. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground, and I shall abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land. This is talking about glory with him. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Wow. I ask you to stand with me. We're going to close off in prayer. But I want you to think about everything that was said today. 
there was a blind poet as we get ready to pray. And the blind poet writes a poem. And his name is, uh, I think it's John Milton, yeah. And he writes this poem. And look what this man writes. He says, come forth out of thy royal chamber, O prince of all the kings of the earth, and put on the visible robes of thy imperial majesty. Take up that unlimited scepter, which thy almighty father has bequeathed thee. For now the voice of thy bride calls thee, and all creation's sight be renewed. It is to be hoped that this meditation has intensified your longing to see the blessed face of the bridegroom, who at his coming will transform all of his own into his likeness. The bride eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on the pierced hand, the lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Come on, bride. I'm telling you, enjoy. Live in your bridal enjoyment in which, beloved, is poured out upon you. Live worthy as his bride. How many of you can say amen? Amen. amen. You could give God some praise, amen. Watch how this sounds. This sounds funky. Ready? Grab the hold of the bride next to you. Yeah. Grab a hold of the hand of the bride next to you. Take the hand of the bride next to you and let's come before our groom. Let's become before our Lord. Lord, in this place, in this presence, stands your bride. Your bride presents themselves before you because you saw us even when we were far off. We were fighting with our own hands. We were doing things with our strength. But you've rescued us and you've placed your spirit within us. And that spirit affirms and speaks that we are the bride of our beloved Jesus. And as we hold hands in unison here this day, Lord God, I pray that you would cause each one to live worthy. Keep each one pure and clean. Focusing more on the inward beauties rather than in outward beauties. And that each one of us, when we stand before your presence, like Paul says, we would be presented as a chaste virgin without pollution, without corruption, with a sincere heart, a genuine heart, a clean, a quiet and gentle spirit, and that we would please you with our lives. Lord, the Spirit and the Bride cries, come. And we thank you because we want and we desire to live in the enjoyment in which you're calling the Bride to live in. It is the bride's enjoyment, the bride's enjoyment over the love of Jesus 
in our lives, pouring over our lives. I pray for every person in this room to be filled with enjoyment. Whatever is exhausting them, whatever is exhausting me, I pray that you remove all exhaustion from my life. Remove all exhaustion from my heart. Remove all exhaustion from my path. Remove all exhaustion, Lord God, from my mind. I'm not saying to remove every obstacle. I'm not saying to remove every mountain and every trial. But I'm praying that in the midst of every mountain and every trial and obstacle that I will find enjoyment. Just remove exhaustion. Because I'm the bride and I want to live in the bride's enjoyment forevermore. Lord, your promises over me are yes and amen. Your song over me is a beautiful song and allow me to sing it while I lay asleep. Let the song continue to sing within me. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Allow me to live in bridal enjoyment to the day that I sit in the glorious place with you, governing, reigning, never exiting from your glorious kingdom ever again. I thank you and we thank you when we love you. Make this bride pure. Multiply this bride in gentleness. Multiply this bride, Lord, <clears throat> with a quiet spirit. Multiply her with beauty within that she would never cease and that she would never be corrupted. Consume us with your spirit and let your spirit testify that the bride is alive and walking in this land to draw people to the groom, Jesus Christ our Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, our beloved groom. Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, Amen. 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 Come on, give God some praise. <laughs>